Amen, amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place. And yes, our big kids, our grade four, five, six, are released to go back to their program this morning. Pastor Rebecca has some amazing things in store for you. Uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be good. But what a wonderful thing to be able to declare together as we, as we continue to walk, walk in worship together this morning. And I'm just a little distracted now because I always bring a pen up here. And I don't know why. What am I going to be making notes in my sermon as I'm up here or something? So I'm going to make a note right now just because I never have. And uh, you can look at it later, whatever it is. It's a secret now. But uh, yes, it is wonderful to be able to worship God together this morning. I'm excited. I'm excited. This is going to be fun. We've, it's been a good morning already. It's been amazing to walk through all the things we have. And we haven't even got to the part where we're exploring the book that the creator of the universe spoke into existence. That's what we're doing right now. That's what's about to happen. It's exciting. It's good to dig into God's word together and the truth that he has for us. So turn with me this morning to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, and we'll have it on the screen for you as well. And we're going to read part of a story here together this morning, and then we're going to see what God has in store for us together. This is a dream of Nebuchadnezzar that was fulfilled. The dream kind of happened previous to this. We're going to start in verse 28. And so this is kind of the fulfillment of that dream and the things that happened to King Nebuchadnezzar in the old kingdom here. Daniel chapter 4, let's read the story together. It says this, all this, the vision and stuff that he had, happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to, returned to me for the kingdom, glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Amen. The power of the presence of God. 
brings low the mighty. It shapes the lives of even kings. It brings humility and breaks our pride and fills us with a desire to worship. What does the presence of God look like in your life? How are you experiencing the work of His Spirit? How are you being changed? How are you being transformed? How are you being shaped and molded? Are you submitted? Are you yielded to His work, to His Word? Or does He need to bring discipline into your life before you will hear, before you will see? This morning we're going to be continuing our journey, exploring the power of the presence of God, this incredible vision and and mission that God has been speaking to us and leading us through of the mission He has placed before us to bring and to be that presence in the world and in the lives of the people around us. The invitation to know and experience His presence, His Spirit, the work of and power of Jesus born in our hearts, the power that created the world and overcame sin and death and brought us salvation, lived in us and through us to be shared with others. That the world can see, that the people around us can see the power of God made real, the love of God made present. It's been so fun to journey through this, and all these stories have been just incredible. Our God is so amazing, and the things that He has done, the things that He is doing, should fill us with wonder and hope that there is more than this, that this broken world and our broken hearts can find healing, that there is justice and peace, joy And belonging, that God has revealed Himself, that we can know Him, that we can experience Him, that we can walk with Him. That He desires us to be connected with Him and to know the love and relationship that we were created for. The power of the presence of God is the revelation of life itself, abundant life expressed by our wondrous Creator that we can know His goodness and grace even if that journey can be difficult. We see it in the story of Moses and the Israelites that we began with in this series a number of weeks ago as they rebelled and turned their back. And abandoned the truth that God had put before them and they worshipped a golden idol. But even as that was happening, Moses still declaring that they had nothing if they did not have the presence of God. That they were nothing without Him. We saw it in the story of creation and the vision of Ezekiel together. The power of the presence of God expressed in this profound and bizarre vision that Ezekiel had, overwhelming and mysterious, but seeing too the truth that we were created to walk with God in peace and friendship. And we wondered at that question, what are we created to be? Nothing else in all creation can relate to God like we were made to. 
What has he made us to be? What has he made us to know of who he is? We saw the power of God expressed in the story of the prophet Balaam and his donkey. The power of the voice of God to speak and to do as he wills. And again, in the story of the Tower of Babel, the foolishness of thinking we can threaten God or match him. The power of his presence over the rulers of the world and the events of our lives that he is in absolute control and he is allowing whatever he allows as he wills alone for his glory and his purpose alone. We are here to make disciples, to share the hope and the truth of the gospel, to glorify him and enjoy him forever, not to help him. With just a thought, God can overturn any ruler, any civilization. We have nothing to fear, for He is in control, and we follow. It's exciting. And I hope you feel, as I do, a a confidence and a peace of knowing that God is in control. That as we explore these stories... We see more and more clearly the power of God working in the world and in the lives of people, the things that He has done and can do. And we start to understand more and more, little by little, how God is building His kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus was describing to us, what it looks like, what God is doing. And this morning we come to another one of these stories and there are so many more incredible things that we're going to be exploring over the coming weeks. Scripture is just filled with these reminders and expressions of the power of God. We need to be in the Word, reading this stuff every day, letting God speak the power of His presence over our lives, letting Him share His heart with yours and shape your heart into His. But we come to this morning to one of my very favorite stories in the whole Bible. It's in first place with all the others. But it's a story that we might not be as familiar with. One that we don't often pay a lot of attention to because it comes right after one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. A Veggie Tales classic. And this story today is all the more profound because it comes right after that story. As we see the hardness and foolishness of our own hearts laid bare right in front of us. Sometimes no matter what God does, we just don't see. But it's the story of the great king Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, one of the mightiest and most powerful rulers in all of history, losing his mind and grazing in the open fields like a beast, all because he would not submit to God. Again, Nebuchadnezzar was one of the greatest kings of the ancient world. He was known as the great builder. He was responsible for turning ancient Babylon into the wonder that it was renowned to be, building temples and palaces and this wondrous mighty city, these incredible feats of engineering. 
And he expanded territory and he conquered nations. He defeated the very mighty and powerful Assyrians, one of the other great nations of the ancient world. And he built his empire to cover the whole known world. And as he went on, he came to be seen as a god himself. Because what is a god but a being of unstoppable power? And who could argue the power that Nebuchadnezzar had? He was untouchable, unstoppable. What else could he be? And on his journey of conquest and expansion, he conquered the nation of Israel. And he captured the city of Jerusalem and King Jehoiachin was deposed and overthrown and the people were defeated like so many other nations had been. And like those other nations, the best and brightest of Israel were taken back to Babylon to serve as slaves, bringing their knowledge and skills to benefit the mighty Nebuchadnezzar in the service of his kingdom. And four of those individuals were Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whose story we have recorded in these pages. And they were brought in and served the king as managers and advisors. They were trained with the very best education in the world in politics and economics, philosophy and mathematics and engineering and leadership. And isn't it again interesting to see the hand of God moving as he did with Moses, as he did with David, as he did with others, bringing people he chooses And placing them in places to learn and be trained by the very best of their very best to do great things for his kingdom. But that's another sermon for another time. But these Hebrews were difficult to train. Because they would not accept all that Babylon had to offer. And they desired to follow their own God, His law and His truth. And God graciously somehow allowed the Babylonians to kind of accommodate them. And even proved that their ways, His ways, and understanding of God were superior to the worldly ways that the Babylonians lived. Their diet and the ways that God had called them to live. And it confused the Babylonians. God is really fun. And he messes with us, with our way of doing things and understanding things. His ways are best. And in these little ways, he's trying to prod us to see that he knows what he's doing when he tells us how to live. If we would just listen to him, just trust him. We see it so many times in Scripture in so many different ways. And we won't because we know best and so we don't need to worry about it. But Nebuchadnezzar decides that he is in fact a mighty and powerful God and he decides to construct this wondrous statue 90 feet tall and he commands everyone to worship it and to worship him. And you might well know the story from here and if you don't, you should read it. First few chapters of Daniel. It is an unbelievable story. It is wild. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down to this idol. And ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar is going to execute them for their insolence. He's going to make an example of them. And he winds up throwing them in a fiery furnace to be burned alive. And miracle of miracles, God delivers them from the flames. And there's so much there. You've got to read this story. We should be doing that sermon this morning, but this one's even better, so it's fine. 
But God delivers them from the flames and he, they are in there walking around in this furnace with this other being. Maybe an angel, the presence of God somehow is with them in there. And Nebuchadnezzar is filled with wonder at the power of God to save them and he calls them out. And this man who had built a statue to himself and ordered the whole nation to worship himself declares that the God of these men is the true God and all shall worship him. Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that any people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save this way. Amazing. What a story. What a transformation. He was going to execute them because they wouldn't worship him and now he is declaring that their God is greater than all the other gods. It's wonderful and it's amazing and God's not done yet. Because despite this wonderful proclamation, Nebuchadnezzar didn't see himself as any less. Just that this God was clearly something to take seriously. And right after this incredible miracle, we have this story in chapter 4 of the vision of Nebuchadnezzar. And again, we're not going to read the whole thing. You can read this vision and the interaction he has. But we get a little taste of what God is truly up to. And it's a profound thing for us to see and understand in our own lives. He doesn't want Nebuchadnezzar's flowery words. He wants his heart. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he sees a mighty tree. And he sees that tree is cut down and it's stripped of its branches and it's made bare in the middle of the field to be drenched by the dew and the rain, exposed and brought down. And he's troubled by this dream and he asks for an interpretation. And Daniel is brought in, known as the wisest of his magicians, which is what he understood Daniel to be. And Daniel always said it was God's power, not his own, but Daniel was able to tell him what the dream meant. Chapter 4, verse 24. Daniel says, this is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from the people and you will live with the wild beasts. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. 
Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. There's a chance. Nebuchadnezzar has seen the power of God at the furnace. And even has said that this God was great, but his heart had not softened. And his pride had not waned. He was still the greatest king on the earth. He still thought he could not be defeated. That he was like a God, even if this God was as powerful as he had seen. And he was still cruel and oppressive, and he still held the people of God captive. And God warned him that there is no one above God, that God gives power as He wills to whomever He pleases, and He can take that power whenever He wants. But Nebuchadnezzar does not hear, and time passes. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, it says, 12 months later. It was a year. God allowed him to consider his ways, to soften his heart, to submit. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built? as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Even as these words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign. He is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and He gives them to anyone He wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Our God is in control. The mightiest king on all the earth was brought low with the wave of God's hand. We see the same thing in the Tower of Babel story. There was no war. There was no battle. There was no conflict. There was no effort. God has said that He allows power and authority by His grace and will alone. And He gives it to whoever He pleases and takes it whenever He chooses. Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most powerful people in all of human history and still he could do nothing to resist the power of God. Every moment of his life was lived by God's grace alone, whether he was doing good or evil. It was all allowed only by the will of God to accomplish God's purposes 
for His kingdom and His plan and His mission. Again, Nebuchadnezzar had even seen this incredible miracle and was clearly moved in some way by God's power and he gave God glory, but still his heart was not changed and he would not submit. He still trusted in his own strength and wisdom instead of God's and God intervened into his life even further. Until the power of the presence of God overcame his pride. And the most important miracle took place. Nebuchadnezzar's heart was changed. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Amen and amen and amen. What a story. What an unbelievable witness. What a transformation. The power of the presence of God to change the heart of the most powerful man on earth. Even after all he had done, the evil and the oppression that he had brought, God still desired his heart. Even after the miracle he had seen and the public way he had said God was great, God wanted not public professions. He wanted his heart. Even Nebuchadnezzar, this mighty king, was a child of God, loved by him and needing the love of his father. It's an amazing story. And there's a couple of things for us to see here because... On one side, in one place, we have the people of Israel recording and viewing this as a victory over their enemy. This is a humbling of this evil ruler who had destroyed their temple and captured their king and taken their people to a land far away and God has defeated him and humbled him. Our God is greater than you. We win. And that is true. God is protecting and caring for His people. Giving them victory and showing them that He is with them. But we so often and so easily get caught up with wanting to win. That we lose sight of the true heart of God. His love 
for each and every person. The people we like and even the people we don't. And even the people doing terrible, terrible things. God doesn't love them even one tiny bit less than any of us. And His deepest desire for each and every single person on the planet is deep and abiding relationship with them, experiencing the fullness of His love and grace, finding forgiveness and knowing the abundant life He created them to live. That is what God wants. And in this story, that is one of the things we see. That is one of the amazing things that He is doing. We see the incredible love and grace of God. His desire for the heart of one man. His child. Created in His image and desiring relationship with Him. Given unbelievable wealth and power and authority, ruling over this mighty kingdom and still just a child of God. And God desires to humble him, to break his selfish spirit and bring him into submission and relationship and life and worship. We see the power of the presence of God to transform even the mightiest and proudest person, the one we would least expect. What does Nebuchadnezzar, the man who has everything, controls everything, need with God? And the truth is, his need is no less or greater than mine. So how do we see people? How do we see an enemy if we have one? What is our desire for them? That they'll be broken and defeated and that we'll win? Or that they will become our brother or sister too? Saved by the same blood and grace that we've found. And do we truly believe that the power of the presence of God can actually change their heart? It's a huge question. And it should completely change the way we approach the people that we struggle with and the leaders of the world around us, the way we pray for them. We're not playing the world's game. It's not about winning. It's about Jesus. Who can we be against when He is for everyone? Who are we fighting when He is trying to save them? And who are we when we stand before God? Does God need to break your spirit too? Are we submitted? Are we humble? Are we following in worship and obedience? Or does God need to step into your life more forcefully so that we too will see? God brought low the most powerful man on earth and He gave him a chance to humble himself first. Are we listening? God's grace is so abundant and wonderful and as serious and important as as all of this is, we are reminded this morning of the cost that He 
was willing to bear for us to know his love too. This morning, we have the chance again to take communion together and reflect on and understand the sacrifice of Jesus, his blood poured out for us, his body broken for us, taking the punishment we could never bear, that we can be free. Nebuchadnezzar found that freedom in the end. And he had to endure incredible hardship to get there. But it was worth it because he'd, God desired him to know abundant life. And despite all he had, he had nothing without the presence of God in his life. We have that same invitation and opportunity here this morning. You can see we have a number of stations set up around the room and we want to invite you. If you are a follower of Jesus, this isn't the, the table of LFC. This is for any believer who follows Jesus. We would invite you to come forward, to take the elements, and to sit and to take that moment and pray and ask God to humble us again that we can accept and receive His grace fully. And we can live in submission to Him in worship. That we can express as Nebuchadnezzar did in the end, the power and the presence of God, that He is in control and He is leading our lives. In a moment, we're going to have some music playing. If you're not able to make your way to one of the crosses, our board chair, Ed, will uh, bring the elements around to you. You can just raise your hand and flag him down. But I'd invite you to pray through that this morning. Where is God inviting you to submit? And in our attitude and posture towards the world, the leaders of it, the people around us, are we wanting to win, are we wanting to be right, or are we wanting them to be saved? Do we love them like Jesus does, and are we praying for Jesus to move in their hearts? God has placed them where they are. He is working with them and through them, whether they're submitted or not. We trust that God is in control but he desires their heart. And it is our place to bring them the hope and truth of the gospel and to pray that they find the love of Jesus. Let's pray together this morning and then we'll take communion together. Father God, we thank you for these incredible stories, for these powerful reminders of the work of your spirit the power of your presence to transform even the hardest and strongest heart. Nebuchadnezzar was king over so many kings. He ruled huge amounts of the world. You allowed him and placed him in that place to accomplish your will, but still, Father, you desired his heart. And it is amazing to see, God, the lengths you will go to bring one of your children back into relationship with you. Father God, we thank you for the love and sacrifice of Jesus that we can know that love that you have. That we can know relationship with you. That we are forgiven and set free. And that God, we are freed from the worries of this world now. We are in your kingdom following your plan. And God, we desire nothing but to bring your hope to others. Father God, as we come to the table this morning, as we take these elements, we pray that you would speak, that you would move, that you would show us the places of our hearts that we are still holding on to that pride. 
that we are still holding on to that selfishness. Set us free, God, that we can live an abundant life in relationship with you, that we can share the power of your presence living in us with the people around us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.